Well, good morning, 8.30. How are y'all doing this morning? Doing, right, hope y'all are doing great. Would y'all stand up on your feet, greet some people around you, and then we will begin to worship together.
I guess if, you, if this is your first time here and you don't know, every week we have an opportunity to thank God for his goodness. We have an opportunity to remember the ultimate demonstration of his goodness through a time that we call communion. And here in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then after that, I'm going to invite you all to come, take the juice, take the cracker, and then we're going to go and reflect upon the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate display of God's goodness towards us. So let's pray together. God, we declare that you are good in this place. God, we've seen it in our lives. We've seen it through your ultimate sacrifice on the cross. So today as we take communion and reflect upon that, would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us of your faithfulness? Let us praise you even more for it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
Tommy, I sent you a text. I hope it doesn't mess you up too bad. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Are you ready? I mean, really? Are, are you why, are you ready? I mean, what are you, what are you ready for? Are you ready this morning to worship? Are you okay? Thank you. Uh, that's three of us. Uh, are you ready to to study? I mean, like to dig into what God wants to say. Uh, are you ready to really commune? To, when we did that earlier, was it really a, an opportunity to get with God? To get with God on a personal basis and let Him take you someplace in that moment that we remember what He's already done for us. Are you ready to give this morning? Are you ready to give of yourself? Are you ready to give of everything, of your time and your talent and your tithe to further the kingdom of God and what he wants to do? Uh, because God's got great things. I mean, we've done some really good stuff. And God has brought us through so much. We are so far ahead of the curve coming out of what we've been. But there's so much more. There's so much more. And, and are, are you ready for change? Like, what if, like, what if we just like, upside down the egg basket and change just to, so that we can reach people for Jesus. Are you ready to do anything short of sinning to give the gospel to someone else that needs to know it? Are you ready to do those kind of things? Are you ready to really, to really serve, to really give? Are you ready to really share what it is that God's done in your life and to get excited about it? Now, I'll be honest, I, you know, whatever, but like, man, was that incredible? Was that incredible or what? And, and, you know, I'm standing over here half with chills on my arms, uh, half with tears rolling down my face. I'm listening to college girls sing their hearts out and just praise God with everything that's in them. I, I just, I mean, I, I, it's time, but we got to be ready. And my question for our church, but my question, if you're watching globally, wherever, because I know we got people watching from all over the world and other people from other churches that watch us, I need to ask this question. Are you ready to be the church and quit just going to church? Because in far too many places, it's just, oh, it's Sunday morning. It's, it's that time. I got to go get my gold star. Remember, so how many of you have been around long enough to remember gold stars? Know what I'm talking about? Okay, you've been there, done that. All right, sometimes we're still stuck in the gold star mode. It's that time to come get my gold star because I showed up for, for worship and I, I went to Sunday school or children's church or ABF or whatever we call it. it I've got my gold star, so I'm good for the week. Now I can go live like hell from Monday to Saturday and I'll show back up next Sunday and get another gold star. That's going to church. That's not being the church. And we got to make some difference because I think it's time. We, we've been talking for a month now about First Thessalonians and about being ready for the second coming of Christ. And what that's going to look like and how exciting that's going to be. And, and you know, and, and yet there's some things about that, that that we sing about and we're like, oh yes, Lord, bring it on, bring it on. I want something new. I want something different. And yet for some people, they're kind of freaking out a little bit that I'm on the floor instead of on the stage this morning. There, there's something they can, is he going to make it all the way back down my aisle? I might come and sit next to Glenn Brewer and he'd be okay with it, but other people might freak out about it because we've been going to church, not being the church. You feel what I'm saying? You understand? Because there's something more. I'll never forget the moment or the, 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 the season, not a moment, the season when I started realizing that. 
1976. I had just started high school. And I was at a stage that for, and I can't even really tell you why, but I had been raised in church. Great, wonderful parents, unbelievable grandparents, a legacy, a heritage. And I knew we went to church. It didn't matter when church was. If they had Bible study on Thursday morning at 2 a.m., we were going to church. Everybody, somebody raised that way? That's how I was raised. We were going to church no matter what. I remember, I remember sunrise services when we used to do those things outside and we were going to church. It didn't matter what time we were going in our pajamas, but we were still, we were going to church because we had to get the gold star. As a 15 year old high school student, I started realizing I'm not sure that, that this is all there is. Maybe it's about something more. Maybe there's something more to this. And, and that year, as I've told you guys before, I hate to read. I, I'm, not, I'm not a reader. It, it's probably one of the biggest detriments to me being in ministry. But praise God, I married somebody who loves to read, and I get to read the yellow. You know what? I'm, some of you know what I'm talking about, all right? And, and so, and, and, and so, I remember there was a book that came out and at the same time a book came out there was actually a movie that came out with it remember it's 1996 so it's not even like on you know you can't get it on right now media it's not on a disc it's not even on a vcr it's on the rolls you remember what i'm talking about i had to go through the projector kind of thing and so there was a there was a, a book that came out and a movie along with it called how shall we then live and it was done by a guy named francis shaver and he, I now know he's one of the greatest theologians of our era could really, but why I went to our church on a time that wasn't a regular church night to watch this and to read the book, it's beyond me at this point at 60 now, I'm thinking it must have been a, just a God thing. Because there's nothing that makes sense about me who hates to read digging into a book that is very heady stuff. That is very deep stuff. And without a shadow of a doubt at that time in my life and maybe since then, it's the deepest thing I've ever read in my life. Alright? And, it, but I started asking questions in my mind that, that this book was at least, maybe not at that time and for me even answering. But it was helping me process that I, I wasn't the only one thinking these things and that there was more than just, it was, cause it was all about how we live. How we actually live. And Francis Schaeffer said this, I put the quote up on the screen. Francis Schaeffer said, nothing should be shunted aside as near, as merely secular since Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The Christian has nothing to fear from the world of ideas because the Christian worldview, get that in your mind, the Christian, the biblical worldview is sufficient to meet the intellectual challenges posed by secular philosophy or by other religions. Moreover, Christianity offers the world true truth that cannot be found by any other means. Without this revelation, men and women are lost, both philosophically, they do not know who they are, and morally, they do not know how to live. That sounds so much like 2021. So much like 2021. 
And, and so I think the issue that we need to dig deep into this morning as we go into 1 Thessalonians 4. And if you've got your Bible, open up there. If you don't have one, there should be some underneath some of the seats. Grab one of those. 1 Thessalonians 4. We've got to dig into this idea of how should we now live. Now, as a follow-up, I need to say that as a follow-up to Schaefer's book, a few years ago, or a couple decades ago, uh, Charles Colson actually wrote a book, How Should We Now Then Live? And I just want to say, how should we live? How should we live right now? 2021, Time Change Sunday, it's November, this year's almost over. How should we actually live right now? What does it mean to actually live for Christ and not just go to church? Because I think that's part of what Paul digs into in this particular passage. It's the tone with which Paul continues his letter to the Thessalonians here in chapter 4. Listen to how he starts it in verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, he's acknowledging that they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that what? What is it? Pleases God. As we have taught you. Now, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more, for you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So you see what's going on in those first couple of verses. He's, he challenges them. You've got to live right. And then he encourages them. You guys are doing a pretty good job of this. For the most part, you guys have got the, you're, you're living well, but there are some things that we need to address. And before we deep dive into the specifics of what those things are that Paul is going to teach about, I think it's important for us to be reminded that what he taught Timothy in second Timothy chapter three, if you want to just hold on to first Thessalonians and go on over to second uh, Timothy chapter three in verse 16, here's what it says. The new international version reads this way, starting in verse 16. All scripture is what? God breathed. I heard a guy this week, a guy named Orpheus Hayward say, God is the source of scripture. The Bible just doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And it is given to help us, help the church offset the teaching of the world. Because the world is teaching, right? We realize that. The world is teaching all kinds of stuff. The world is teaching all kinds of messed up stuff. Now, the world is teaching some good things because there are some factual things. But, but now we can't even figure out and sift through what's fact and what's fake. But all scripture, where does it come from? God. Good. I'm glad we got that answer. We were going to have trouble if we didn't get that answer, all right? All right. All answer or all scripture is God breathed. And here, here's why. Here's why it's important. It's useful for what? For teaching. For rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that, here's why, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, let me break it down. What I think the New International Version says, I love the way it reads in New International, uh, excuse me, the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. It says in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God, same thing as God breathed, and is useful. I like the way it's worded here. To teach us what is true. And our world needs something to teach us what is true. 
and to make us realize what is wrong. So much of the world doesn't even realize that what they do is wrong. What is wrong in our lives? It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do right, to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Our purpose statement as a church says that we exist to reach people for Jesus and to equip them. See that word equip to equip them uh, to be fully devoted disciples. Now, this is, I just got to go here. All right. See, what our purpose statement says is that we are, we exist to reach people and equip them to be fully devoted disciples, not churchgoers. We now let that sit in. Fully devoted disciples, followers of Jesus, sold out, ready to go all in in this game of life that we're in. That's why we exist, to equip people to do that so that they can impact their world for Christ. Change the world. Love God. Love people. Change the world. So this morning, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. But let's let God breathe into our lives today. How should we live now? This is how we live I, I told Bobby earlier this week, we were out of town at a conference together. I told Bobby, I said, now, if I were Paul, he laughed as soon as I said that. But he, I said, if I were Paul, I would have written this section of this letter differently. Because in chapter 4, I would have begun by painting with a much broader brush and then narrowing it down like he seems to do it down in verse 9 that we'll get to in a little bit. But no, Paul, like right after he comes out, way to go, you're doing something, but I got to talk to you about something, and then boom, he jumps into it right away, all right? And look at verse 3. He says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. So I'm just freaked out. We're, we're going to talk sex and like what kids like. That's why we have children's programming. Okay. So we can have these talks. All right. Stay away from all sexual sin. If you're an underliner, I'm not as concerned that you underline sexual as I am that you underline all. All sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, or we could add, or husband, if it's her. Uh, for the for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, catch this, because sometimes the world wants to say, "Oh, it's just church rules." That's just stuff church made up. People might say, oh, that's just that's just Shelby Christian thing. Or that, that's just a Dave thing. Man, he needs to get off of that. L- understand this. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, church teaching, pastor teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Because remember, what is this? What is all of this? What do we say it all is? It's God. God breathe. 
It's God talk, straight God talk. And so he says here, he says, you guys are doing pretty good, but you got to be holy. And holiness is actually, holy, becoming holy and being holy, it's actually a three-part process. Some big words, they're going to come up on the screen and just a small definition to help you understand. The first part of being holy is what we call justification. Being justified. And the easy way to remember what it means to be justified, it says, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Justified, never sinned. It's that process of receiving forgiveness, receiving salvation. But most important, it's understanding why, understanding why we live differently. We live differently because of justification because it's just if I had never sinned it's just as like I got pardoned it's just if I had been completely okay and because I was made okay when I know that I'm not okay when I know that I've got stuff in my life that I'm not proud of and, and it's just because all that's the that should motivate me to live differently justified the second big word is the word sanctification you got justification and then you got sanctification and for a lot of you guys for a lot of you guys are in that process right now because in especially in this service the majority of you guys have already been justified you have already accepted jesus christ as your personal lord and savior you've repented of your sins and you are in that process of being sanctified it's learning how to live differently Justified is understanding why we need to live differently. Sanctified is learning how to live differently. But what's the biggest why of that? It's the third word. After you got justification and sanctification, you get to glorification. That's eternity. That's being rewarded for living differently. Dave Ramsey, when he's teaching about financial success, he says, if you want to have financial success at the end, you got to live like no one else. In other words, don't go spend everything and be smart. you got to live like no one else so eventually you can live like no one else. Some of you guys understand it. Some of you guys are in that season of life right now. But this whole glorification is what's going to happen. It's why we, it's what we receive for living differently. Now, part of being holy, we just got to hit it right on because Paul does. Part of being holy is avoiding all sexual sin. Do you know that in the New Testament, there are eight different lists of vices? You know, some of you have heard the secular world, the seven deadly sins and and how they've been, you know, kind of missed quoted interpreted whatever the bible gives us eight different lists you know what's in every list in every list sexual immorality why do you think it showed up in every list because god breathed into those who recorded it the knowledge and the understanding that that one thing and along with finances would mess more people up than anything else and so it's in it's in there every time and, and, and so it also says in some of those lists that those things on that list, not just sexual immorality, but sexual immorality is on every list. Those things jeopardize 
our salvation and our justification because we haven't been sanctified and started living differently because we were justified. We're trying to be justified and keep on living like the world's living instead of being sanctified and being different. Rick actually said, if the church doesn't teach Christ followers to think, the world will. My concern as I was digging into this this week it's not just, not just Shelby Christian, although that's where my heart is. It's been here for, for a long, long time. This is where my heart is. And so my concern is here, but my concern is broader than that. It's for a lot of, there are far too many places today that assuming they got the time right and the change right, people are sitting in seats going to church and not being taught any differently than the world is teaching. And we're going to teach what God breathe as long as I have any control over that. And if it opposes what the world teaches, if it opposes what the world teaches, way to go. We're calling it a win. Because if, like Rich Ashley said, if the church doesn't teach Christ's followers to think, the world will. And it's going to start with your kids, your grandkids. Just so we're on the same page, because this is important, Paul lists several of those potential sexual sins here. But in other lists, he includes everything. Here he says that don't live just like the pagans, doing all the stuff they do. And, and, and it includes things like any form of fornication. We know what that is, right? It's sex outside of marriage. It's not fooling around, it's sinning. All right? It's cohabitation. It's homosexuality. It's pornography. It's adultery. It's bestiality and incest and any. Do we understand any form of sex outside of marriage is what the world teaches, but it's not what God breathed. Now, can we all get, can I, I mean, this is going to be the weirdest thing you've probably ever heard in church. From all God's married people, can we all be in agreement that sex is a wonderful thing? And all God's people said, amen. You never thought you would say amen to that in church, did you? See, I'm, I'm keeping you off guard, all right? But it's the way God intended, not the way the world does it. And he says, don't let this one thing mess up your holy living. See, refusing to live like this is not refusing human teaching, but it's rejecting God. That's what scripture says. Now, I also need to stop right here because this is critical. This is critical to this whole discussion. Understand that nothing that we have talked about this morning that is sinful, that is outside of the will of God, none of it is unforgivable. That is critically important for us to understand. Because in far too many places, the church, and I'm talking just bigger church, not, not our, but the church in general has told someone who's divorced, maybe because they committed adultery, you're done. You're out. They've told the homosexual who's confused and not living the way that you're out. They, they've told people that are cohabitating, don't show up here until you get that fixed. Now, we're going to stand on biblical truth, but we're also going to love people while they are getting back in line with God and leading them to a place where they need to be with God, not throwing them away from God. And as I wrote that, 
this whole pass this whole message this week because I know people personally that I love deeply that fall into every one of these categories and I felt this part was critical because maybe some that I do know maybe some that I don't know maybe some that are here for the very first time thinking what did I walk into maybe someone sitting here right now really uncomfortable because you know that you've struggled in this area and maybe really uncomfortable because you know you've given in but hear me very clearly even if you have given in God has not given up even if you've given in to the sins of the world God has not given up and maybe maybe just maybe right now you need to pray a prayer of repentance and ask not only for forgiveness but the strength to move forward and it would be totally an abuse of scripture if we didn't give you that opportunity to do it right now and so I just before we go any further I just want everyone to bow their heads and if there's something that you need to come clean with God about I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand stand up come to the front I'm just going to ask you and God right now to come clean and so let's pray Thank you, God, for loving us. I pray right now in this moment that the blood of Jesus is filling in the cracks and broken vessels, making them clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, lest we go home and tell everybody we had the sex sermon today, it's much broader than that, okay? Because he goes on in verse 9. I told you he paints with a broader brush. And this is actually where I would have started, but it wasn't breathed to me. It was breathed to Paul. That's how it got written. That's how we're going to use it. But basically he moves on from saying avoid all sexual sin. To, he says love each other. Look at verse 9. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, love them even more. Love them even more. See, I think he wrote that that way because 
Paul, or because God in his infinite wisdom and knew that there would be people in 2021 that when they heard the phrase love one another, they would sit around going, I already do. And they needed to hear God say through Paul, well, love them even more. When you think you've gone far enough, go further. Love them even more. You see, Paul acknowledged that the Thessalonians already understood the concept of one another. He said, I know you're doing it. Do you know there's 59 one another's in the Bible? 59 commands to love one another in the Bible. To love one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another, to share with one another. They're all over the place. There's all these commands to one another's. But how do we do it? See, here's what Paul uses. And, and let, let's dig into this. When he says here to love one another, he's using this, this, this Greek word phileo. And phileo is, uh, is a, a Greek word that is often used. It's almost always used for brotherly love. In the original Greek, the way the term phileo, when it was used in any kind of literature other than the Bible, any kind of literature other than the Bible, it was talking about the love that siblings have for each other. That brothers and sisters have for one another. Even when they're fighting, because you know we've talked about that before. Brothers and sisters can fight all along until one of them's in trouble. Now they're fighting together, not against each other. We get that. That's phileo. That's it doesn't matter what goes on in our life. I've got your back. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. And so all through Greek, uh, all, all through Greek writings of all kinds of other literature, that term phileo is used that way so that when Paul uses it and when it begins being used in the New Testament, it's talking about the love, not of, not of siblings of the same earthly father, but of siblings of the same heavenly father. It's the love that we here have for each other. It's the phileo. It's that we really care. It's that when we go out of our way to do things, it's that. And so he says, love each other that way. Love each other that way. And then look at verse 11, because he says, you need to be ready if you're going to do this. You need to be ready to go all in for Christ. All chips to the center of the table. Everything I got on the line. We can't simply say that we love others. We have to show it. Look at verse 11 and 12. Look what it says. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we have instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. That's critical and will not need to depend on others. See, he starts off and he says, live quietly and mind your own business. Have you guys seen the video of this little girl? This little girl's in the backseat of her car. Mom's talking to her and she just keeps saying, worry about your own self. And she's got a great little accent. There. Worry about your own self. And just over, worry about your own self. You know, there's times in life that that needs to be our mentality. That we just worry about our own self. Now, that's not to say, though, that we don't care about others. Because busybodies are actually, more often than not, drawing attention to themselves. And, and you know, I, I get it. This, this thing right here, this thing right here is, is, is horrible when it comes to that. It's horrible. 
Because we get on social media and people sting, and sometimes people try to try to like cover it with you know, just, here. I just, just want you to pray for this situation. No, they don't. They just want you to know about that situation. I mean, because if because my question always, I want to type back. Did you? Did you? Did you pray about that situation, or did you just share that situation? And so we talk about all this and my social media and how, but guess what? The, you, you know, this thing has another use, right? You remember that? We used to have them like on our desk and on our walls. And like when you were, you know, in my life, when you were a teenager and dating, getting a cell phone was not the most important thing. It was getting a really long cord for the receiver. Remember that? So you could walk into your room with it. All right. So, but so long before, long before all the bad things that people are doing on social media, sharing things and not really caring for each other, not minding their own business. Long before that, guess how they were doing it? You're never going to believe what I heard yesterday. We really need to pray about that or just talk about it. See, we got to be really good at being able to mind our own business and yet really care about people. In fact, let me reverse that. The better thing to say is we need to be really good at caring about people while minding our own business. While really loving and really caring and not gossiping. See, lead a quiet life means to be silent. Not speaking out inappropriately, remaining at rest and tranquil. And it's all done in anticipation of where we're going to finish this morning. All this about how we live is in anticipation of where we're going. It's anticipating the Lord's return. Believers are to live peaceful lives free from conflict and hostility, which is a witness to the transforming power of the gospel so that we can share that message with people who need to hear it. And, and so he says here in this final little little bit of here's how you live, here's, here's how you are sanctified. He starts off by saying live quietly and mind your own business. And then he says work hard. Work hard with your hands. Work hard with your hands. Work and take care of your family. See, apparently, apparently what we can see, as we read between the lines, is that some of the Thessalonians had apparently adopted this attitude of idleness, of not working for themselves, but depending on others, because they had heard this idea of, well, we need to share things together, and some just took it to the point of, okay, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to count on, uh, on my brothers and sisters to take care of me. That doesn't sound at all familiar, does it? I, I blew my mind this week. And some, somebody asked me if I knew about any jobs in Shelbyville. Come on. Ten years ago, that might have been a legit question. If you want to know about jobs in Shelbyville, get out of your house and go look. They're everywhere. Now, the Bible's clear. We need to be willing to help those who are old, who are disabled, who are physically unable to help themselves. The church, not the welfare system of the government. Understand that. I'm stepping on all kinds of toes. I know, but we're going to go on with this. This is God breathe. The church is called to take care of those people. But the Bible is clear that if you can work, you need to work and you need to provide for you and your family. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. We are living in a world right now where if you can't find that work, like I was talking about, 
Oh, let's just be real. You're being cousin Eddie and holding out for management, and you probably ain't going to get that job. But why? Look at how he finishes it up. He says you need to do that so you will gain the respect of others. See, living this way allows you to gain the respect of others who need to be reached with the gospel of Christ. Guys, listen, we talk a lot about who's your one. You can't be effective in sharing your faith with your one if you don't live in such a way that they respect you and want your faith. If they're thinking they got it going on as well as you do because they haven't seen any difference, we're we're not getting anywhere. That's why this stuff is critical. How you live is critical for you and for others. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then six verses later, he said this, whatever you do, work at it as with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. What we do is not for us. It's not for our boss. It's not for our spouse. It's not for our parents. It's not for the elders. It's not for the church. It's for the Lord. That's why we do whatever we do. And then he said in chapter 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's important, gang. This is how we live. And then Paul makes a big transition to what happens when you die. Maybe because of the persecution that was going on in Thessalonica. Maybe just because of old age. But apparently a lot of the believers there were seeing friends and family dying. And they were wondering what happened to them when they died. And Paul wants them to understand that, guys, listen to me. Death, that's why I've, I've really wrestled a lot in the last two years, like everybody has. But one of the things I've wrestled with the most is in the, in the world of believers is, is I, I know death is not the end for a believer. It's actually the entrance to a glorious future. And, and while I'm not ready for it to happen right now, I kind of am. Verse 13 says, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. Some translations say, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. So that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He didn't, Paul didn't say don't grieve. Paul didn't say don't be upset when somebody that you love is no longer here. He didn't say that. He said, just don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because if that person was a believer and fallen, there is the greatest hope imaginable. You would never ask him to come back to this mess. For since we believe that Jesus died and raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, here it comes, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Amen? That's hope. So the question is, are you ready? Here's the deep one. And you need it because it's back to why are you here? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? The son of the living God. That he died for your sins. That he rose from the dead. And then he's going to come back and claim his bride, the church, to take them to be with him.
Do you believe that? If you do, it has to motivate the way you live. It's how he asks you to live, not the way the world encourages you to live. And then if this is how you choose to live, then Paul finishes by telling us, this is how you get to leave. If this is how you live, this is how you leave. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. He said, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So therefore encourage one another with these words. If you live right, you get to leave right Francis Schaeffer changed my life in many ways by allowing me to think and to have questions not doubts as much as just questions Francis Schaeffer died twice he died once on May 15 1984 just a few years after I first knew who he was But he had died once before that, way back in 1930, when he was a high school senior. And he just read through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. At that time, before he started reading, he was an agnostic and was thinking about throwing out the Bible permanently. But his parents, grandparents, people all around him talked about it, and so he read it. But after reading through the Bible, he was struck by the truth of the Scriptures, and his life was never the same. The day he submitted his life to the truth, he died. And started living again. Later at the very end of his life. When someone asked Francis Schaeffer. What the reason is for being a Christian. He responded with this. There's one reason. And only one reason to be a Christian. Which is that you're convinced. It's the truth of the universe. 1978 Francis Schaeffer found out he had cancer. Treatment before it was able to push it into remission. He continued his work for six more years. His daughter tells the story of the very end of his life. When Francis was on his deathbed, she visited him. She said that a lot of times he was going in and out of consciousness and cohesiveness. And, and, and there were several occasions when he was much more lucid than others. But she said, in one of those occasions, when I knew he was really with me, I asked him, is it true? She later said, what a thing to ask a dying person, especially my dad. And then she said, but my dad said, it's absolutely true. I'm absolutely sure. This is how we shall then live. This is how we shall live now. Because guys, the bottom line is this. The way you live determines the way you leave and so we need to start living in such a way that allows God to build something in our lives 
and to build something through our lives for others that need to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that we can spend eternity with Him. Would you guys stand up with me? Today, we've prayed already together. We've dug into the Word. Today, right now, if you need to make some sort of decision about what you need Jesus to do in your life while we sing that song, I just want you to think and pray and give it all to Jesus.
church, we declare this today, I will build. Real quick, if this is your first time here, we're glad you're here. We hope you stop out at the I'm New Wall, and uh, we've got a gift for you out there. We'd love to meet you out there. We want to let you know that next Sunday night, there's all kinds of Christmas stuff out and about that you can sign up for, sign up table for the bell ringers and uh, for Operation Christmas Child Boxes and all that stuff. But next Sunday night at 5 o'clock, we'll be having our annual Thanksgiving dinner uh, over in the gymnasium. The church is providing all the main stuff. You guys bring sides and desserts, and you've heard my thing on that, so we'll have fun with that next week at 5. Then at 6.30, we'll come in here for a night of worship. Part of that night of worship will be a lot of music and a lot of stuff. I'll also be sharing some vision for the future uh, that night. So we really encourage you to, to be here and to be a part of that. And then lastly today, I need to let you know, we always try to let God lead. And sometimes he leads us places we don't know that he's going to lead and when he's going to lead. And so we just try as a church family uh, to follow and encourage all of our church family to follow. And Ethan has received a call from God and from the church where he was at before he came here, actually, 
uh, to come back and rejoin their staff and be part of their worship ministry. And while that saddens us, we never stand in the way of God leading. And so we just want to let you guys know that uh, I guess count the day, four more weeks, something like that, December 5th. Uh, will be Ethan's last uh, Sunday with us. Praise God that part of what he's done while he's been here is develop great teams. And we've got great people in place to carry on while we try to figure out uh, the next step for the church. And so uh, for Ethan and Megan and their ministry, we pray God's speed and just carry on, carry on. And for us, we're going to do the same thing because we've got, still got people around us that need Jesus. And we're going to keep sharing Jesus. And So over the next month, you'll have opportunities. We'll be doing some things uh, just to say thanks for the great time. Because remember, how we live determines how we leave. So let's live by loving God, loving people. Let's get out of here and go change the world. We'll see you guys.